going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast, episode 58. This is Thursday, 7 o'clock, August 16th. Flying through August, summer's almost over, but a lot of fun has just happened the past week and a half. Uh, had a lot of fun last week's podcast, but this one's even even better. Got a lot to get to this week. Well, before we get to that, though, want to point out a very special thing about this podcast, episode 58. Now, there's been more than 58 episodes, but we did mini episodes, we did double episodes, but this one is titled The Jake 58, which is special because that's my number. 58 has always been my football number, ever since freshman year football when I uh, I actually picked 91 in practice in the summer because I thought that was a pretty cool number and just liked it, but then realized I'm not going to be able to play offensive line as 91. This uh, isn't really going to fly. So had to come up with a solution, and 58 was one of the few numbers left. There was a couple weird ones like 63 and 67, uh, 71, and I just what, not, none of them I was feeling. So went with 58, and uh, my coach liked it. He was like, Jake the Snake, 58. And I was like, I, I kind of like that. And then he didn't know my nickname was Jake or Baker at the time. So thus led to... The Twitter handle of JakerBaker58, and uh, well, I mean, it's no longer JakerBaker, it's uh, the Jake Podcast is the handle, but pretty cool that that was the number, and hey, now Baker Mayfield in the fold, which we will get to shortly because coming on this week, we're not just talking about movies, we're not just talking about Bachelor in Paradise, we are of course going to dive way into the Cleveland Browns who are featured on Hard Knocks this August. And, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you knew that. They are super entertaining. It's been a lot of fun. And joining me on the podcast is, uh, this week will be a very special Cleveland guest. So, without further ado, we'll dive right in. Damon Keckman joining us on The Jake. Here we go. All right, joining us on the Jake this week, none other than Cleveland Against the World host, Damon Keckman. Damon, what's going on, man? Hey, Jake, what's up, man? Uh, not much. Just uh, hanging out, getting ready for this uh, big move that I announced the other day, but um, everything else is pretty, uh, pretty good, so how's everything with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm great, man. Listen, I'm, I'm in Jersey, but I heard that you're coming back to Ohio, which is awesome. Uh, very excited for you because... Uh, I know you've been out west for a while and away from it all, but uh, I think you're going to be at the home opener, right? Yes, I will be there. Um, I'm, I'm actually getting all my keys and everything uh, the weekend before. I think it's like I'll be in Cleveland eight days before the opener, so I'm definitely, definitely going down there tailgating, um, getting with everybody, trying to just enjoy myself. You know, it's been a while since I've been to an actual Browns game, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the experience again, especially at the home field. Yeah, no, I mean, I I've made it out to a couple home openers. The last few years now, and it's pretty great. Uh, you know, I was there when we beat the Saints, which was pretty cool. And uh, believe it or not, I've actually had a pretty good record. I um, I talk to my cousins who go to games all the time, but I'm eight and nine at my career Browns games, which is like almost unheard of considering what their record is over my lifetime. <laughs> that's funny, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, the only, I think the last one I went to was uh, Cardinals Browns. Or 2007, mind you. I, I'm sorry, I looked this up the other day because I wanted to know. And uh, it was the Brady Quinn. It was that game where Brady Quinn threw him in the end zone, and I forget who got shoved out of bounds. Kellen Winslow. Had, yeah, Winslow. Had, that was the game I was at, and we were we walked out right after that. We were both me and my father were furious. Yeah. That was the last time I've been to. That was in Arizona too. That wasn't even in Cleveland. So. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. I remember that year. There were a couple tough finishes. Uh, yeah, that that one sticks out. And I'm technically. Nine and nine, if we count this last week's game, I was at the Meadowlands. Uh, I was there rooting on the Browns with my Brian Hoyer jersey and got to see them win. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, I loved what I saw. And, you know, especially from the quarterback play, but all over the place, I was really excited. What did you see against the Giants that uh, was very encouraging? I can take away from this, and I know I'm, I'm eating a lot of my words when I say this, but I, I mean, I guess I, I'm just admitting that I was wrong. Baker looked damn, damn, damn good. I know he was playing with second stringers, playing against second stringers, uh, with the second offensive line, whatever, it doesn't matter, dude. 
he that rollout pass he threw to Callaway on the sideline. I don't know, man. I just in, in his attitude, man. Like I, you go back and watch the hard knock. You like listen to the audio during the game, and I don't know, man. He just really impressed me. Um, Tyrod obviously stood out, and we know he's the quarterback. But I really think the Browns might have finally got this one right. And for me to say that is somebody who did not like Baker Mayfield. Somebody who Baker Mayfield actually called out on Twitter almost ruined my life for a hot minute there. But um, like it, it really, it really pays me to say it. But dude, I'm really warming up to the kid. I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be really, really good. Cause some of the stuff he did. Um, in that game, just blew my mind. Uh, as somebody who was a big critic of his um, before he even, even got drafted. Yeah, no, I mean, I leading up to the draft, I had a lot of Cleveland guys on, and you know, having different opinions about the quarterback. Some were pro Darnold. Uh, you were one of the pro Rosen. I was also pro Rosen as well. Uh, but I was always, you know, I wanted Baker, but I knew the risk that came with it. But the one thing that I took away from that game was. He is a pro quarterback, and that's really cool to say because with the last bunch of guys we drafted, it's like, well, is he a professional quarterback? Like, is John, like does Johnny Manziel have it? Does Colt McCoy have it? Like, some of these guys, their best would be a career backup, but with Baker Mayfield, you're like, no, that guy belongs on the field. Sooner or later, he'll get there. I understand with the Browns, it's a good thing having you know Tyrod Taylor in town, but. I mean, the one thing I took away was this guy is a baller. He can play in the NFL, and that's awesome to say as a Browns fan. Yeah, finally. I mean, it feels like it's been forever since we've actually been able to say that. I mean, I know we anointed Kaiser last year pretty early. Because Kaiser did some good things in those games, but I think that, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just, for me, it just feels different with Baker. It's just, you hear him talk, and you see his work ethic, and... I don't know, and some of those throws, man, like, I, I didn't expect those out of him, those rollouts, I mean, if I guess I would have thought I would have watched more throws of him in Oklahoma, I would have expected this, but I thought I did a good job watching him, and I just saw a lot of open receivers, that's why I was a little worried about that Big 12 offense, but it doesn't seem like it's been a problem for him, he was pretty accurate um, when he when he played, and then those, that touchdown to Njoku in the back of the end zone, man, that was like, oh, and the Callaway touchdown, man, like, yeah. those, like he's putting the ball, it's not even like, like, when you say, like, you're saying pro quarterback, like, I just thought he was just throwing to these guys. You know, you see him throw the wide-open receivers in his college show. And now you just look at him and you're like, okay, that one ball he threw to Callaway that he took 50-some yards, he put that the only place that Callaway could have gotten with it. Like, it, was, it was a finger just away from being intercepted, but he put it right there for him where it needed to be. And was, uh, another quarterback would have thrown it, you know, a little bit behind him and it would have been an interception, you know? Yeah, no, that was – I I, I totally agree. He made NFL throws – uh, all game, depending on, you know, no matter what the coverage was, he was making NFL throws, and that was pretty cool. And the other thing I really liked, you know, on offense was the Todd Haley offense definitely seems like a huge upgrade because it didn't matter who was out there. It was just guys, if they weren't open, the quarterbacks were getting them open, and guys were open. So uh, I yeah. loved the way they used David Njoku as like a mismatch. And he only played a couple, like, he didn't play very long. He played like midway through the second quarter. And, I mean, that guy, if he can hold on to the ball, he's trouble for the defense. Oh, yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's the biggest mismatch, mismatch on the field. He's got, he, like you said, he's got to catch that damn ball, man. Yeah. He's got problems with the drops. Mm-hmm. Okay, so aside from the game, because, you know, it is still preseason and there's only so much you can really take away from it, uh, Hard Knocks aired again on Tuesday. And after episode one, which I said was one of the best Hard Knocks episodes ever, uh, episode two came out firing. Uh, the Coleman trade stuff was right off the bat. The Callaway trouble was really interesting. What was your biggest takeaway from this week? I mean, the one biggest takeaway I think is you know we had, I had a preconceived notion about Callaway when I um, went through when I I mean you know obviously had all the problems coming from Florida um, an array of different things not just drugs but. Um, well, I shouldn't say drugs. I'm a big weed. I'm a big pro weed guy, so I don't think there's any problem with that. But you know, when you play a sport like that, you yeah, know when you're rules. in the NFL, you know, yeah, yeah, you should know. You should know the rules. and You should do the right thing. Like you know, if you don't want to be in the NFL, don't smoke weed. But it should. And we know. We all know it should be a thing. But that's a conversation for another time. But I was really impressed with the way. I mean, I know he hit it from the team, but he just looks like a good. He looks like a good kid. Like he looks like he's just. A little bit misguided, and I don't want to say that um, sparingly, but he's got a good mentor with Antonio Brown. I just think he made a mistake, and I honestly like you see a guy like you see the report when that comes out. It's like, oh, you know, receiver who had all these problems, 
has another problem, and then you don't realize that, you know, I mean, obviously, yes, you should have cleaned out his car when he got his car, or should have looked around it, not been silly enough to do that, but, you know, that stuff comes in time, and, like, I feel like if he keeps his, if he keeps it right, man, I think he's going to be fine, and I think he really will do it, because you watch what Todd Haley was saying during the episode, like, Landry, talking to Landry, like, you know, you got to get this guy, like, you got to make sure he's right, because, like, he's a special player, and they all see him that way, so I think that that was my biggest takeaway, honestly. Um, from the whole week is that I really kind of misjudged Callaway's situation as well. I feel like a lot of people really quick to hop on him, like I said, including myself. But with time, you know, like if he can get his head right, he can get right on the field, I think he's going to be a real threat for us like in the future. Yeah, you know what, I'm glad you pointed out Callaway being like a little misunderstood, misguided. Um because I was with that too. When he was drafted, I knew of the talent, I knew of the ability, and I was really excited for that, but I was like, untrusting you know I, I looked at that as like a yeah well is it gonna work you know is it gonna be like is he gonna flame out real fast and and it's never really in 2.0. yeah like, exactly like, that, that was the first thing i thought it was like okay we're gonna try to take a lottery pick with you know basically we're gonna try to hit the lottery and another guy that's just like josh gordon and i mean he has a, like i've been saying on twitter that he does have a lot longer of a rap sheet than i thought gordon did obviously gordon's were unknown until like last year but, you know, he's a little lot more public of a thing, and I wasn't really too happy with the pick, but I think if he can keep his head on right and, like, work his, work his way, I think, I think he would be a good player. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, you can see it in just, I mean, the speed and his cuts alone. You're like, that guy's got to be on the field because, man, he could be troublesome. Even if he's not catching the ball, just stretching the field and opening up in the middle for guys like Njoku, uh, Duke Johnson, Landry. I mean, it, it like... He could bring another element to the offense. Um, you know, for me on Hard Knocks this week, it was definitely. I mean, the Callaway stuff. You know, I, I, I'm we just talked about, so I don't want to really like dig right into it, but definitely. Sorry, your point. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's totally fine. The other thing was just like the Haley effect on this team because you know him and Landry are coming in and they are the winners. You know that we are that we are looking at. I mean, you know Landry. You know, I, I don't know how much he has won, but he's made the playoffs, you know, and he's been he, he's yeah. been there before, so he gets the attitude and the effort. And oh, and Tyrod was the other one. I'm sorry, I forgot about Tyrod because he made the really great point about like bad habits and how to correct that. And I'm like, man, this is just something. I know it's obvious you see it on HBO, so it's right in your face. But this is something we haven't seen. And, you know, Josh McCown was a great mentor quarterback. He just didn't have a quarterback to mentor because Johnny Manziel didn't want the mentorship. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, now you see it with, like, Tyron Baker like, and, and Drew Stan and, and Roback. Like, that quarterback. Yeah, I love Roback. Oh, it's great. It's so fun. That is by far the best quarterback room, like, we've had in my lifetime. It's not even close. Yeah. And the talent that they've added you know whether or not Dez is coming in, and we'll get to that in a minute. Like they've just they have something different here, and I know we've said that before, but this is just so obviously different. Like this isn't this isn't Dwayne Bow or Kenny Britt. This is something else with Landry and Haley and all them. Definitely, I definitely agree with you. The Landry thing, uh, I want to hit on that real quick because there were a lot of people that were really pissed off that that we gave him a lot of money, man. And I think that everyone kind of understands finally why. This guy's getting the money, and I feel like he was really underutilized when he was in. Um, everyone was looking at it like, oh, some guy's just gonna come here and get paid, and like, you know, on the back of the yeah. Uh, Pete Smith was painting him as basically Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's ridiculous because I, like nobody understood, but like now you see him run all these routes like that back shoulder throw. Like I would have like knowing I know Landry's a player, I know he can make that play, but like they never let him do that when he was in Miami. I'm really excited to see what Landry's get about him. Plus, like we talked about, dude, we're getting Gordon back. If we get Gordon back and Callaway on the field, dude, that's a that's a fun trio, man. And, and Landry will help that room stay on point. I feel like. I know. I'm really excited to see his leadership and how that actually affects the team because I really hope he can like grasp on. I know he, you know, in episode one, he had that like big talk, that fiery speech, basically calling out guys that were injured. Uh, I hope that sticks. I hope guys like flock to that. Because he is vocal, and if his vocals mean something, that would go a really long way for this team. Yeah, so, I definitely agree with you, though. So, all right, um, you know, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. Des Bryant is staying over in, in Cleveland tonight, so when this podcast is released, he will likely still be unsigned. 
Do you think he's coming in? Do you think this is a good idea, bad idea? Does this mean anything about Josh Gordon? What does the Dez situation like say to you? Uh, well, I don't, I don't see it as being impeding on anything Josh Gordon related. Okay. Um, I don't think they would have gotten rid of Coleman um, knowing that um, without certainty that Gordon was going to be back. And, and like speaking on that real quick, I think that everybody really needs to calm down about that and just kind of respect his privacy, like the team has been really saying. Oh yeah. Opening. Uh, being a, being a recovering addict is one thing. Being a recovering addict in the NFL when cameras are all up in your face is a completely different animal. And there's not a lot of people that understand that. I got a lot of people in my mentions today talking about how he needs to grow up and he needs to be an adult. And um, these are people that have never dealt with addiction. I, I'm almost 100% certain in their life. So I think that that's one thing that I think everybody needs to stop worrying about. I think, I think everybody that's in the know is in the know. And we're going to know when we're going to know. And I think he's going to be there for the start of the season. But let's talk about Dez. Um, I think it's a bad idea, and I don't know how serious he actually is. I actually, um, I texted one of my Cowboys friends uh, today because um, I wanted to know how serious this was. I wanted to see if he thought that Dez was being serious. And what he told me is that um, Dez is um, being serious. Like he, they think he's being serious, but they also think that he's trying to leverage. I think he's waiting. He's, uh, from this is from somebody that I actually talked to about this, and this is the first time I'm saying I didn't want to tweet it out, but I'll tell you, Jake, on the spot. Um, but he said that he's waiting to hear back. Oh, he's trying to hear back from another NFC East team. I don't know what that means, but he also said that he's good friends with Landry. Yeah. So this could be. This. I think that this is actually a real thing. I just. It's hard for me to believe it with hard knocks around and with just the way Des has kind of been acting lately. Kind of. I'm not saying he's been trying to get attention. I don't know Des Bryant. I don't want to speak on how he is, but the way it looks is that there's a lot of talk about him now. And it's just odd to me that no other teams have hit him up, but once you know, like the Browns have been trying to get to him and. Now he's finally returning their calls. It just—I don't know. I just don't think I don't—I don't think we need him, honestly. Because I—I—I'm I, under the impression Gordon's coming back. I think he's—I don't think anything that in his past uh, few years has been drug-related. So I don't think he's going to have to worry about getting suspended. Um, and you have Landry. Obviously, if Callaway stays on the field, I think we're fine. We have Njoku. We have uh, we have some. Uh, Higgins has been really stepping up in camp too. So I don't think that we need that. I don't think we need the extra headache. I, I and from a lot of the his time in Dallas, a lot of what you heard from the media was. That he, he was kind of a headache, and you know, do we need that? Like we have a, you know, we have an alpha in the room right now with Landry. Do we need to add another alpha, or do we need to add, you know, or do we need to look at something else, like a different position? Yeah. I just don't think it's very viable. I think we should be looking a trade. Like if we want to trade for a wide receiver. Why don't they just go out and sell the farm for Odell Beckham? You know, if he's not going to get a deal done, like why are we looking? Why are we looking at low hanging fruit when we could be looking at high hanging fruit? If that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense to me because I've yeah you know, I've gone back and forth on the whole Des Bryant thing and where I've landed is this. I know John Dorsey likes him for the obvious reasons of John Dorsey likes guys that are basically Des Bryant that are loud that are in your face that are football players. I mean, d- there's no doubt about that. Des Bryant has been able to do in his career, but I don't know if that's the greatest fit for this team. I'm not saying. He's going to come in and be a headache. I do see a scenario where he comes in and it works out. I just agree. I I don't think it's necessary because no matter what he says, and he might come in and and Greg Jennings and and Rob Parker and everyone was talking about it today on on the radio, but I think the Greg Jennings point was the best because he said, Des Bryant's going to come in and he's going to say exactly what you want to say. And I'm okay taking less targets. I'm okay being part of this. I'm okay being part of that. And you're going to say, oh, well, if he's okay, that's totally fine. Let's go ahead and sign him, put him on the dot, you know, the dotted line. One year, seven million, however much it'll be. And, uh, and then he comes in and all of a sudden he's not okay with that stuff anymore. And that's where I think the confusion will really come in is that. Somewhere along the line, he's not going to be happy with the fact that he's getting three to five targets and that he's at least, at best, third on the pecking order of of targets. Um, I think there are better options. Like, I don't like Brandon LaFell as a game-changing wide receiver, but I think if we're going to put a wide receiver out there as, like, Gordon Insurance... That you know, we can go that route, or like a Malcolm Mitchell, or some, or Jordan Matthews. Like there are other guys out there that won't be a possible, a possible ticking time bomb. And I'm, I'm yeah. with you 100 percent on Gordon. I believe that he just needed to step away. I'm totally fine with him stepping away, and I believe that he'll be back. Uh, I do think though, it you know, in your job in the NFL is based on how you get the game, you know, game ready on Sunday, and you know, knowing his past, I think it's fair to just say you need an insurance policy with Josh Gordon. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I, tr- I mean, at the end of the day, I you know, not everybody agrees with me, but I trust John Dorsey. I like the moves he's made. Now, some of the trades, I feel like he didn't get proper value. But at the end of the day, he's taken an 0-16 football team and made it something that all the fans are very excited about. And uh, that takes a lot. After the last two years of going 1-31, it takes a lot to get us, like, I know you would easily say, like, oh, it takes nothing to get these Browns fans excited. But no, we've set a high bar for ourselves because we're so tired of the crap and we've been doing this for so long that we're like we deserve so much better and we can finally see that something better is here so yeah so i'm with you there um all right before i let you go uh i want to talk about what you expect to see coming forward what you're you know what do you want to see on hard knocks you know because there are a couple things that i haven't seen just yet that i'm like i'm waiting for it so what do you want to see on hard knocks not just brown's camp because you know, obviously we got that too, but on Hard Knocks itself, what are you hoping to see? Um, I'm really hoping to, uh, I, I, honestly, I'm just kind of rolling with the punches because I like the extra perspective that it brings. And I just kind of want to see more, I want to see more Hugh. I want to see more Hugh Jackson because I feel like a lot of it's been really unfair to him because it's been a long time coming where we, where we have to worry about stuff like that. And I feel like he's been a better, he's been better than I imagine he is on a day-to-day basis. I feel like for a while he just does a lot of stupid stuff, and it's gonna be a lot. It's a lot nicer to see him in this light. So I would like to see more Hugh Jackson because I think it does more good for him than that. And we can kind of wrap our heads around us keeping him for a little bit longer, and it's justified rather than just like everybody getting super frustrated with how he acts on a day to day basis. Because I think he's actually, I think in hard knocks, I know a lot of people say that it's been a bad look for him. I think it's actually been a pretty damn good look for him. Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. The guys that watch the team on a day-to-day basis, like you and me, or like that we, we pay attention, you know, we're like, okay, cool. Because I saw one of my one of somebody I actually really respect, and it was a bad point. Like I was like, oh, he punished him by making him do all these um all these jugs machines. It's like, dude, no, like you have um like Antonio Brown goes on the jugs machine, does a hundred jugs because he's Antonio Brown. Like, are you trying to say that like they're not the same? You know, they're not the same people. Like, if you want somebody to go do the jugs machine. You want them to do them by yourself. You don't want them to do it. Like, you don't have to go tell them to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you 100% on this being a better image for Hugh. Uh, I think it's really humanized him. Uh, and I'm I'm his biggest uh, I'm his biggest enemy, basically. Not enemy. I'm, I've been his biggest critic over the last year because I wanted to give him a chance after the first season. Last year, I was fed up with him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm being very tough on him. But then I saw these first two episodes and... I see what Joe Thomas talks about when he says that Hugh Jackson was his favorite coach in Cleveland. You know, he said he's a player's coach, and while sometimes the coaches might disagree with his actions and how he handles things, it's pretty obvious the way he interacts with the players that this is a guy that the players will play for and they'll play hard for. Uh, what we see on a day-to-day basis as Cleveland Browns fans is how he acts with the media, and that's not really a big part of his job is how he interacts with the media. And he doesn't really do a great job of that. So I think that's part of the reason why we look at the results on the field. We look at his interactions with the media and that's 90% of what we see of Hugh Jackson. And that's been tough to swallow over the last two years. But this HBO hard knocks has really given us the inside of, listen, this is Hugh Jackson, the person this is, uh, and I do, I agree with you. I want to see more of that. And uh, I think it's it can only help his image because 
it had gone down so much after the one in thirty one that you know it, it, hey nowhere to go but up and I I I the tragedy about his mom and his and his brother was very sad and I think you know putting that so much on episode one you saw man you know this is just another guy and he's you know killing it by being out there and going through all of this at the same time and it's like you know I think it humanized him a little bit and got a little bit of the critics off his back uh, for a while and I think I think HBO kind of gave him a big uh, a big help there so yeah definitely agree with you there mm-hmm. as well. All right. Listen, thank you so much for coming on, Damon. I know we went a little bit over time, but uh, it's hard to stop talking about this team when you get going. So uh, I really yeah, appreciate no, you no, coming on. No, man, no worries. You, you know I'm always here for you. Some days I can't do it, but when I get to Cleveland, man, opportunity is always going to be open. Whenever I, when I, once I get land and get all my equipment back up, and I'll be there for you whenever you need me, man. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll have to run into each other at the home opener because that's going to be some celebration after beating the Steelers. Awesome, sweet. All right, man. I'll see you then. Thanks so much. No problem, Jake. Take it easy, man. All right, bye. All right, that was Damon Keckman uh, at Down with Damon on Twitter and uh, at Cleveland ATW Pod. He's uh, the host of one of two hosts of Cleveland Against the World podcast, a great Cleveland-based podcast, and uh, editor in chief at Climb the Pocket. Damon has as good as a guest as we've had on uh, this podcast, really knows his stuff when it comes to Cleveland, and now he's coming back home, too. He's been out west for just a little too long, and uh, and yeah, it's great to see all the Cleveland bloggers coming back home, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting him face-to-face. Got a couple of the guys I'd like to meet going out to the Browns' home opener this year. It's uh, There's a buzz in the air that is really hard to ignore. You know, I'm, I know I've been a fan of the Browns and I've been pro Browns for a long time uh, on the optimism scale. I'm really high up there when it comes to Browns fans, but there's just a different buzz with this team. It's really, it's palpable. I mean, and it's, and it's not just hard knocks, you know, because I know some of the hard knock stuff will get you really excited and some of the hard knock stuff will leave you very frustrated too. But this is just something about this team that's different this year. And uh, we're really excited to see all of that. And, they play tomorrow night, Friday night. They play the Bills. That'll be very interesting. A lot of ties between the Browns and Bills right now. Uh, you know, storylines to look out for. You know, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen were two top ten quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, there was talk up until day of the draft that Josh Allen might be the pick for the Browns at number one. And uh, you know, of course, they went Baker Mayfield instead. And you know, to you know, please a lot of people because not a lot of people like Josh Allen going into the draft and. You know, so those two quarterbacks will be mirrored for a long time in their career. Obviously, Corey Coleman getting traded there. Obviously, Tyrod Taylor coming over from Buffalo to Cleveland. So you look at they've you know performed a couple trades uh, that really are going to reflect each other. And and I know it's just preseason football, but it's fun. It's fun to like look out for this stuff and keep it in mind. So I'll be sure to check that out. And I mean, Damon and I talked briefly about the Giants Browns game. Man, that was fun. You know, if I'm going to dive into that, I uh, I left work last Thursday a tad early. Wanted to get to the parking spot. Uh, I was lucky enough to have two friends that have season tickets to the Giants, and you know, her uh, my friend Lauren, her dad said uh, said to her a couple days before the game, he goes, "Who the hell would want to go to a Browns Giants preseason game?" And Lauren's head popped up and said. I know a guy, so I was pretty pumped about that. She, uh, you know, thought of me being a the only Browns fan she knows. So she said, "Hey, you know, how about you and your girlfriend want to join me and my husband?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." So the four of us went. I got a couple six packs, put them in a put them in ice in my trunk, and of course the trains from New York were taking so long that uh, I had to drink by myself in the tail in the tail uh, tailgate the parking lot over at giant stadium. And, uh, you know, I was expecting a lot of hecklers. I was wearing my Brian Horry Jersey. I was wearing an orange hat and I look, you know, me, I'm never going to shy away from being a Browns fan. I love when people give me shit about it. So, uh, I wore my obscure quarterback Jersey. I was sitting there drinking beers. Uh, everyone had to meet me inside because the trains were taking so long. So they couldn't come, you know, to the car as I'm walking over. I interacted with a lot of Giants fans, you know, something I've done my whole life living in Jersey, but 
interacted with a lot of Giants fans during that game, before the game, after the game. And I'd say about 95% of the interactions was very positive, respectful, and I really appreciate it. Uh, I know it's a preseason game, so there's not a lot of animosity going around. It's a lot of just, hey, let's stay healthy. Your team do well. My team do well. And everyone's happy. But uh, it was really cool. There was a lot of respect saying, hey, you know, there's a guy with a Brian Hoyer jersey. Good for you, man. Uh, or like, oh, yeah, like, you know, go Browns. Like, can't wait for hard knocks. Really excited. And it's like, yeah, no, like, like we're uh, – and you know it's the Giants. They don't have. They play the Browns once every four years. What do they have against us? So that was pretty cool. Just uh, you know, going to the stadium and not getting shit on. Uh, there were a couple kids there that were really trying to get me, but I'm like, I mean, guys, come on. I've grown up with this shit. I'm so ready for this. Like, it takes more than a couple hecklers. But uh, Browns won. If we're gonna count that towards my overall Browns record, I am nine and nine at Browns games. A 500 record, which is better than any head coach that has come through Cleveland. That's right. I am nine and nine, which puts me as the winningest Cleveland Brown. Now I'm not a Cleveland Brown, so I can't say that. But but still, come on, nine and nine at Browns games. I mean, who who else do you know that has that good of a record? You know, especially with 18 visits. You know, it's not like I'm two and zero or anything. I'm nine nine wins. You know, it it takes a while to go see nine Browns wins. And usually by the time you get to nine Browns wins, you've seen like 48 losses or something. So uh, regardless of that, had a great time. I uh, took the turnpike home, and that is not a great time. But seeing Baker Mayfield whip the ball around, that guy is a pro quarterback, and he's going to be good for a long time. I'm really excited for his career. And you know what? I'm okay with it not starting in September. I'm okay with it sitting for a bit because I think Terod Taylor is going to be the guy that's going to take this team and make them a winning football team. I think they have the potential to be an 8-8, eight and eight, a 9-7 and seven football team if all goes to plan. And he's the guy to get it done because he's not a risk taker. He's a good football quarterback. And I think him, mixed with Todd Haley, mixed with all the new weapons, if he could take that Buffalo Bills team to the playoffs, I don't see why this team can't be as good or better than the Buffalo Bills team of last year. All right, so plenty on Browns. We're going to talk about that a lot next week, too, after the Bills game. I will have another uh, great Cleveland guest on. We've had a lot of fun having Cleveland guests on every week, but thank you to Damon. Uh, but enough Browns this week. We've got a very, very fun week that had nothing to do with the Cleveland Browns before the Thursday night game. You know, Last week, when I finished recording, I was on my way to go see Jaws on the beach. I'm going to dive right into that because... We're going to do a little film rewind, not a movie review because I got a movie review coming up, but a film rewind of one of Jake's all-time favorites, Jaws, the Spielberg classic from the 70s. Uh, born and raised in New Jersey, I you know Jaws comes you know with the territory because it's based on the 12 Days of Terror, a book about the shark attacks in the Shark River of New Jersey, where my grandparents actually uh, lived when I was a baby, so... Jaws kind of hits home for me because I know the movie takes place elsewhere in, in I believe, New York, like uh, uh, up on the island. But the book that it's based on is Jersey, and I've always loved it. Uh, back from when I was a little kid, my grandparents took me to see Jaws on the beach when uh, Spring Lake, each August, you know, they pick out a day and they float the movie up on the pavilion. It's really cool. And you have the wind going on in the background. It's a warm summer breeze, and just at dusk, the you know the sun is going down. And if everyone knows the beginning of Jaws, it's when those kids go into the ocean at night. So it's just a, a really great scene to hear like the kids going into the ocean, and then look right behind you, the ocean's right there. It's it's such a wild thing. And before I get into the movie itself, a funny story: my grandmother and uh, when she took me and my sister, I was you know let's say like eight years old which would have put my sister at like four, something along those lines. That seemed to be like the age range. And uh, and she took us to see Jaws on the beach, and it scared my sister shitless that she was crying the whole night. We left the movie early. I didn't want to go, but my grandmother was like, you know, she pulled a Joe Bluth and was like, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> it was just so, so like, oh, no, this was a bad idea. My mom was pissed. 
My dad, eh, I'm sure he was fine with it. And, and, you know, my sister made it out all right. She loves shark movies now, so it's like, all right, it took a while, but, uh, you know, broke her in, taking her to see Jaws when the beach is right behind you and the ocean's right there and thinking, oh, yeah, sharks are everywhere. I'm like, I'm whispering in her ear. I'm like, yeah, those sharks are all over the place. You can never go in the water ever again. <laughs> like, I'm not being helpful, but, you know, and it also takes a little bit of the monkey off my back. You know, this year uh, when I went to North Carolina with my cousins, I was watching Jaws when my four-year-old cousin Finley and her two-year-old brother Trip were sitting on the couch, and they're like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, it's Jaws. Now, I asked their dad, Brian. I was like, Brian, are they okay to watch this? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. And, of course, like 10 seconds later, someone's arm gets bitten off and, like, floats, or it's a leg, like, floats through the water. I'm like, oh, shit. Sarah's not going to like that. And Sarah's like, Jake, are you letting them watch Jaws? I'm like, oh, no, Brian's that was okay. Uh... Had to kind of like, you know, skate by that one. But again, I think they'll make it. I think they'll be okay. Again, it's just a movie. You know, tell your kids it's a movie. But Jaws, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Steven Spielberg classic. Uh, innovative in film. You know, they uh, they did a couple things. First of all, they're one of the first movies to uh, shoot underwater. They had uh, the lens, the corrective lens that you can go in and out of the water without it like looking like there's wet stains on on the camera lens. They also did the scene, if you notice, when uh, the little Kittner boy, Alex Kittner, gets eaten in the water and they do a little zoom in, zoom out action uh, on, on Chief Brody. What you'll notice is, and this is a really cool film trick that they innovated, and this is why Spielberg is so great. What they did is they had a track and they zoomed out as they brought the camera closer to Chief Brody. So they moved the camera towards him, but they zoomed out. And that's why you see like this super effect on him in the background that you see in movies all the time now to really like mess with the mind. But it's such a cool camera trick and it's hard to explain. You know, I know it's a camera trick, so hearing about it on a podcast isn't exactly like the best way to define it, but it's very cool. And next time you watch Jaws, Look for that, uh, the Alex Kittner scene, and when Chief Brody the, does the zoom in, appreciate the fact that this was innovative and never done in film before. So, uh, really cool stuff there. But on to the movie itself Jaws. Classic in my mind, obviously, because of the Jersey stuff, because of the film stuff, because of Spielberg and it just being great. Starts off with a couple of kids jumping, going into the water late at night. Dead body washes up on shore. Shark attack? No, you can't yell shark attack, says the mayor, because uh, everyone panics. So you assume, probably a boat propeller. Well, they uh, assume it's a boat propeller and open up the beaches. Then comes in a guy out of National Geographic, or wherever he came from, National Enquirer, something like that. Uh, Richard Dreyfus examines the body and says, well, this was no boating accident. And this wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a great white shark. And now there's panic on the hands. The mayor wants to keep the beaches open because it's the 4th of July. Chief Brody doesn't know what to do because he's the chief of this tiny small town where he knows everyone that lives there. And nothing bad has ever happened except for a little vandalism here and there. So what do you do? You know, Alex Kittner went into the water. The beaches were open, even though that there was already a shark attack just a week before. Well, here comes Quint. Comes in, says, he'll catch him, kill him for $10,000. The head, the tail, the whole damn thing. And uh, that trio of Dreyfus, uh, Quint, and, you know, Chief Brody go out and hunt down the shark uh, for $10,000, and listen, they not everybody makes it back. Quint takes it when the boat kind of gets taken over by the shark, and uh, he gets eaten by the shark. Dreyfus survives, even though he was gone for a while in his little shark tank trying to poison the shark. And Chief Brody saves the day by blowing it up by throwing a hydrogen tank and shooting at it. So, just, w like, what a great music movie between the music, the film editing and and all the innovative stuff that they bring in the acting that's done by some you know top-notch 70s actors and i mean it's a summer classic it's a blockbuster hit 
you know, I, I, I'll give credit to Barstool here. The lights, camera, uh, bar, uh, Barstool guys, Jeff Lowe pointed out like the ultimate summer blockbuster bracket. This was so much fun following them, and because uh, all the ones that were high up there were favorites of mine, Dark Knight, uh, Super Bad, which is a huge favorite of mine, summer blockbuster, not exactly blockbuster, but summer hit. You know, as I was going into senior of high school, that movie came out the perfect time. But Jaws is, is up there as one of the best summer blockbusters ever. One of the best water movies ever. Another thing Barstool was going into. And, and yeah, I mean, it is clearly in my top five movies. Maybe as high as number two. I don't think I can give it number one. But it is really in the conversation. It's uh, one, of, one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's an automatic rewatch every time it's on screen. I, uh, I mean, I'm flipping around the channels if Jaws is on. You can bet your ass I'm going to watch it. Like, it's just that simple. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And yeah, I love it. So if you haven't seen it, uh, sorry for the super spoiler of the whole movie, but if you haven't seen Jaws, I don't know why you're listening to my podcast. Like, that's this podcast is a waste of your time if you haven't seen Jaws. Go watch that movie. Uh, don't watch the sequels, though, because those aren't any good. You know, a lot of shark movies tend to really suck, too. Uh, this weekend will be the final Sharknado movie, but I even have a feeling that's not true. Like, there's going to be another one of them. But you can bet your ass when to watch that one, too. So, 8 o'clock on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel on Sunday night. Yeah, I'm probably going to be watching Sharknado. The final Sharknado is what it's called. So, tune into that. That's the what to watch for this weekend with Jake is Sharknado, the final Sharknado. Uh, 8 o'clock Sci-Fi on Sunday night. Uh, another thing to watch is the Meg, the big time shark blockbuster movie, the best since Jaws. Now, I know this movie. You know, you see the ads, you're like, that's not a good movie. I, I, I'm no movie critic, but I don't need to see that. But guys, I'm telling you, if you go to the movie theater, I saw the Meg last night. If you go to the movie theater, and you know what you're going. You know, don't set unreal expectations. Don't expect to see Schindler's List or The Godfather. You know, don't expect to see classics like The Snakes on a Plane or The Negotiator. You go in and just assume, listen, I'm not this movie's not gonna be great, but I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna have fun. It's a big 3D movie. It's on the big screen. I got my big ass popcorn, and I'm just gonna have a fucking great time. I went alone yesterday because my girlfriend was stuck in the city. And I was like, I'm out of work 15 minutes early. I can make it to the 5 o'clock showing, be home a little after 7, and none worse for wear. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm going. Guys, it was awesome. The Meg was exactly what I was hoping it would be. It lived up to the expectations, the hype. It's phenomenal. First of all, and I mean, okay, I could edit it a little bit. I could change the ending. They didn't really leave us with a cliffhanger. They didn't leave us with a tease for a second Meg movie, which super bummed about because that's how it should end. It should end with like a, a little fade in the background of, we're not done with this Meg. This Meg's coming back for us. That would have been like the way how I would have ended it. It's like Jason Statham stares off into the sunset. You see the fin going under the water and it's like, guess what we're going to see two summers from now? A whole other list of C-list actors fighting off another Megalodon. That would be, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted the final shot to be. Now, they still left it open-ended. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm diving in. Spoiler alerts, be warned. I'm going into the Meg right now for the one-minute movie review. Now, first of all, all right, one-minute movie review. Go. All right. Going into this movie, I was like, what, what, where the fuck is this shark coming from? This prehistoric dinosaur fossil shark is coming out of nowhere we just haven't seen it well they covered that up really easily and i actually really liked their whole reasoning behind it apparently the marianas trench the coldest you know deepest place on planet earth we're like okay you see the seafloor that that's where the bottom of the world is well apparently in this movie and i loved this they had a theory that that's not exactly the bottom of the ocean and that that's just like a membrane and that if you go in the ocean goes even further down and there's a whole ecosystem that lives underneath the Marianas Trench with animals and life that we have never seen before and it stays under there because of the 
cold layer of the membrane, no one, no animal goes up past it, and none come down through it. So it's kind of like this force field. And I'm a big sucker for like science that I can't understand. If you like, if you throw Inception at me, I'm like, sounds awesome. I'm in. Like, I, like it doesn't even need to make sense. I'm just like, nope, works for me. That's cool. Thanks. Bye. So uh, that was. That was enough reason for me. I was like, all right, that's fine. Give me the membrane. It's too cold, whatever. So obviously as they're exploring down there, they run into the biggest mofo shark that's ever you know existed. They saw a giant squid. They saw other life forms. And as they escaped, they broke through the membrane and it created almost like a vessel that anything could escape in that whatever amount of seconds that was there. Now... Right there is the plot for the second movie is when that opened up, it opened up enough that another could sneak through because obviously that's how the first Megalodon got through. So the fact that that got through means there was an opening that was available for any creatures. Maybe there's something the Megalodon has to fight in the next movie, you know, like kind of like a Mothra type situation for Godzilla. All good stuff. They have plenty to go off of. They have enough of a big loophole that they can like force more movies out of it. I absolutely love that whole like storyline and that they can get away with that. So pretty pumped up about that. Now in the movie, they catch and kill a Megalodon. But they don't catch and kill the Megalodon. They just catch and kill a big ass shark. And as Jason Statham's realizing, he's like, wait a minute, is there two? How many are there if, this, if there's a second one? Because... As they're like catching and taking the pictures and everything, the big ass megalodon comes in and basically eats their whole fucking boat. Uh, it's awesome. Look, if you go to the movies expecting something that's not going to be there, you're going to be disappointed. But if you go to the movies and you just want to see a fucking shark killing people, which it does, you're gonna you're gonna come happy. You're gonna you're gonna leave happy. One of the things I really liked about the the movie though was the homage that they paid played to jaws and other movies as well and i have to see it again because there are a lot of references they make to jaws number one there's a dog that jumps in the water in the movie the dog's name in jaws that is also in the water is pippin the dog in this movie you guessed it pippin asian girl is screaming for the dog to come back to the boat just like the guy pippin pippin in Jaws. It's unbelievable. And if you think that's coincidence, you're absolutely wrong. It's That's a lie. Whoever made this movie, and to be honest, I forget who made the movie, um, and I think it's someone like relatively famous too, uh, but whoever's responsible knew Jaws and wanted to pay the homage. So I appreciated the Pip and the Dog scene. Now, there's another shot where someone's paddleboarding and uh, you see the Meg going underneath the paddleboard. And it was the same exact shot that Chief Brody's son had when he was on the capsized boat in Jaws. Same exact shot, shark coming right underneath, another great homage to Jaws. Uh, the whole the whole Kittner kid scene, too. I mean, Alex Kittner, Alex Kittner, you can't go in that water. Like, that, that whole scene of him arguing, oh, come on, Mom, and wanting to go in the water ex happened exactly with a little Asian boy who wanted to run in. Now, he didn't have, like, a boogie board or anything like that. He had, like, an inner tube, and he didn't get eaten like Alex Kittner did. Uh, he made it out alive. But the whole, like, back and forth between the kid and his mom, and even what the mom was wearing, if you play it side by side, you're like, oh, my God, that's the same thing. So another appreciative, you know, with the Kittner boy thing. Um, and then, obviously... The big Statham line is, chew on this, you ugly bastard, which is very reminiscent of die, you son of a bitch, which is Brody's line. Uh, look, I mean, that's it. And that's the big line. It was used in the promo. It was uh, not exactly how he killed him. So, you know, a little spoiler there because that would have been a little bit too much. And I appreciate the homages paid. I know not everybody does uh, love that type of stuff. I mean, when 47 Meters Down came out. No, that wasn't the one. The Shark movie with Blake Lively. I reviewed that last summer. Um, that one sucked. Uh, I forget what that one... Oh, The Shallows. That one sucked. And that one 
it didn't seem like was paying an homage to Jaws. It seemed like they were just straight up ripping off Jaws. It was just one really smart girl the whole time. And, uh, oh, guess what? She went on to become a doctor like she always wanted to. And it's like uh, the whole movie was a barf because I felt like it was trying to be too much. This knew exactly where it was. It stayed in its lane and it was fucking awesome. So my one minute movie review of The Meg, which I think lasts about four minutes, probably like eight minutes because I really was excited about that. Uh, I give it an A plus, a 10.0. It's the Jaker two thumbs up because if you go to see this movie and are expecting what you got, like this is this is perfect. This is the movie for you. So uh, you got to go see it. It was my favorite movie of the summer. Mission Impossible was probably the best movie this summer. Or that that was like the most exciting. The Meg was exactly what I wanted though. You know this was this was phenomenal. A great movie. I don't think Mission Impossible was the best. It might have been. Uh, Infinity War might have been the best, but but you get it. This was this was right up my alley. It was exactly what I wanted, everything I needed. All right, before I let you go, because uh, wow, really got into shark movies, the Shark Movie slash Browns podcast. Uh, doing a quick top five because I was watching movies this week and realized, man, haven't done top five in a while, uh, and lucked out with you know was watching Deep Impact, a movie that I will review sooner or later but not this week because we're running out of time but deep impact has morgan freeman as the president great movie and morgan freeman does an excellent job as the president of the united states now it got me thinking you know and got my girlfriend thinking she said we should do a top five of movie presidents so i'm like yeah let's do that so we're gonna dive right into the top five of movie presidents right now all right number five going in with bruce greenwood not my favorite movie president, but he's done it multiple times. He was in National Treasure, in the second National Treasure. Uh, and he was also the movie uh, president in, uh, he was the American president in The Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. If you have two appearances as a movie theater president, I'm all for you. He, he, Bruce Greenwood obviously fits the role. All for it. Well done, Bruce. Number five. All right, number four. Going with Jack Nicholson. President from Mars Attacks. Uh, didn't have a very long role. You know, it wasn't exactly the most famous of them because it's like, you know, I mean, Jack Nicholson is Jack Nicholson. He has much bigger roles than Mars Attacks. But uh, that was some movie. And you know what? It was quite the, uh, quite the send-off he had in that one too. But uh, President James Dale... It, not much to say you know it's jack nicholson you know what do you expect all right so i got him as my uh number four number three diving right on in going with harrison ford air force one now i know i harrison ford's one of my all-time favorite actors he could easily be number one on this list but uh but no this one does not go to him uh he did a great job but then again like you know it was just one movie. I don't know. A Air Force One was great. He's great. He's definitely on this list. Definitely deserves it. He's a, you know, bad. Maybe I take points away because he's a Michigan fan. Uh, take points away because, uh, you know, he was hiding for a long time in that movie. But he was smart, and he got out there. And I you know he at the end of the day he killed Gary Oldman, and he killed the bastard who uh, uh, Gregory from uh, from Walking Dead. So pretty awesome, but. I'm making him number three. You know what? No, fuck that. I'm making him number two. I'm making Morgan Freeman number three. We're going to flop them. Harrison Ford gets number two. Morgan Freeman gets number three. Uh, it's a really tight race because I thought Morgan Freeman was awesome in Deep Impact. The speech he gives, gives about the waters receding. Uh, oh, and the waters receded. Like, like, that was all, like, chilling. It's a really intense movie. He's a very intense guy. It's a really tight race. 3-2. I put it as like 2A and 2B, basically, for Morgan Freeman and Harrison Ford. But number one, obviously, we're going with Ronald Reagan. No, I'm kidding. Come on. Come on. No, 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 no. We're actually picking real actors. We're going Bill Pullman, Independence Day. Wasn't probably the best president, but he got in an aircraft and he was fighting aliens. What else do you want? Delivered one of the best movie speeches you could ever ask for. Bill Pullman, Independence Day. 
it, there's no question he's number one. We had some, That's a great list right there. Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholson, Bruce Greenwood, Harrison Ford. But Bill Pullman takes the cake here. And for me, it wasn't ever even a question. Uh, Bill Pullman, number one movie president. I mean, great movie, too. I mean, we're, we're not even going to talk about the second Independence Day. I'm not interested in that. But uh, you go in Jeff Goldblum, uh, Will Smith, Judd Hirsch. What a great movie. Awesome. Independence Day. Possibly one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely top five. I don't know if it beats out Jaws, The Negotiator, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it's right there. Independence Day might be number four. It might be right ahead of Pulp Fiction. So, Anyway, that's my list of top five movie uh, presidents. My one-minute movie review of Jaws, which... Or no, sorry. Of uh, The Meg, which was a little bit longer than one minute. My movie Rewind with Jaws. Jaws on the Beach. Great scene. And of course, the Browns interview with Damon Keckman. Thank you all for listening. This was a lot of fun, this episode. This is a very special episode, episode 58. My number 58. The Jake birthday month, which is great. Still in the summer. Got a lot of things coming up. Got a wedding coming up. Got a vacation coming up. Got another Browns game to review. Got more Hard Knocks to review. And we got Bachelor in Paradise. We're going to do a very big recap next week when we have four episodes underneath our belt. And I'll have a guest on. We'll talk Bachelor in Paradise next week. Looking forward to that. A lot of fun. Thanks for everyone for listening. Enjoy your weekend. And go Jake.